Lots of companies and corporations say they're people first, but are they? Talk is easy. Alignment of business decisions to the principles and values of people first isn't that simple. Meet Kate Strathman. She thinks of her business as an incubator for building a company that gives her team the freedom and flexibility they need. In her bookkeeping agency consultancy practice, Kate makes decisions in alignment with the actions and values of the cooperative economy, where her goal is not to maximize profits for her gain and instead have a business created to meet the human needs of her team. In my insightful conversation with Kate about building an agency to provide more flexibility, freedom, and care for her team, we lean into how Kate approaches compensation, the processes that protect her team's time freedom, how she hires for cultural fits, and why she prefers a slow and low-pressure onboarding and training process. Stay tuned. To the Small But Mighty Agency podcast. If you're a creative consultant or agency owner who wants to know what the roller coaster ride really looks like to grow your business from one to many, you're in the right place. My guest and I pull back the curtains on the realities of growing and running agencies of different sizes and what it takes to build a team. And if you're anything like me, you want more than the highlight reel. You want to learn from the mistakes of others so that you can stop short of making the same mistakes. I'm your host, Audrey Joy Kwan. I spend my days as a coach and consultant to multiple six and seven figure agency owners. For the last seven years, I've been behind the scenes helping people grow, lead, and operate small but mighty agencies. Here at the Small But Mighty Agency podcast, we'll uncover what works and equally as important, what didn't work to get these business owners to where they are today. Hi, Kate. I am so excited to have you here. Tell us how you started your bookkeeping and consulting agency. Hi, Audrey. It's good to be here and talk to you today. So the origin story of Wonderwell, uh, we started in around 2012, I believe. And our origin story starts in a coffee shop in South Philadelphia called Shot Tower. Um, and that's where I met my former business partner. We were we would just go there and co-work all the time. Uh, one of my close friends owns the shop. And we met there as frequent workers, at coffee shop workers, um, and started doing projects together. And early on, we were doing more strategic consulting and um, did more like hard business planning and stuff like that. And the reason why we ended up with a bookkeeping uh, service in our business is uh, as we were doing all the strategic planning and business planning with owners, one of the challenges we kept coming against up against is that most people had crappy books and there just weren't a lot of good options out there. So, um, you know, it was one of those moments where it's like, we could do a better job than this. And so... We hired someone, built out a service, uh, and that that's sort of the rest is history, I guess, as they say. So it really it evolved as a sort of uh, co-service to support originally what the primary work we were doing uh, was. And that was how long ago that you started? The bookkeeping the side? Yeah. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> I mean, the business started in 2012. Uh Probably a couple years after that, we started the bookkeeping side. So you've been in business for eight years. 
something like that. Yeah. Yes. Eight years. Okay. I'd love to know uh, in those eight years, obviously your team has changed quite a bit. So can you share how your team looked like in the early years and how it looks like now? Yeah, it has changed a bit over the years. I think, you know, early on, we were basically two principals who both did consulting and then hired uh, bookkeeping associates. So folks that would do manage the bookkeeping accounts and um, actually do that work. And then from there, I think with the exit of my former partner and some reconfiguration, it's ebbed and flowed over the years, but currently um, we're, and we're actually in a hiring process. So I'll speak to sort of where we're going to land, I think, which is today where we have four people on the bookkeeping team. So that's three bookkeeping associates. Everybody manages their own kind of roster of clients. Um, we have a lead on that team, which is our title for folks that have ownership or management over areas of work. Um, we don't have a really like a lot of people management hierarchy or anything like that. It's really more about areas of work management. Um, and then we have a client services and operations lead, which is basically our ops person, and they do a lot of the supporting how client work happens and communication happens. I'm hiring an executive assistant that will work with myself. Um, and then, of course, there's myself. And I sit in the like CEO, CMO, and kind of consulting lead seats primarily on the team. And then I also teach and develop programs and all of the, the big ideas work. Thank you. I want to ask you, what are your perspectives on building a team? It's a big question. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things I think about a lot is the norm in our culture and economy and in terms of how we think about businesses in particular is not really about how we're meet, well we're meeting human needs. That's just like not the framework. So, and then the, to the extent that we do, I think within business culture, especially like online business culture, some of, um, you know, the communities you and I are in, uh, it's gen when we do talk about needs, it's generally centered around the owner or the founder. So it's a very sort of like individualized, uh, you know, shiny snowflake at the top um, kind of perspective. So that's definitely not the perspective I hold. <laughs> and I really think about it as a space to support livelihoods, um, which is both our clients, obviously, because of the kind of work we do. And so we're serving our community and clients in our mission of, of you know, shifting paradigms for what a business can do and what can be with our services. Um, but then we're also practicing that ourselves. So, uh, you know, I think about my team building as in some ways as an incubator, and mm. a project for practicing new ways of being and new ways of being in business um, and figuring out experiments that track to kind of our values so that um, we can build this container that flexibly and robustly supports everyone that works here, which includes myself, but mm -hmm. uh, I'm not building it for myself. I'm building it for everybody um, as, as best as we can. <laughs> Of course. Tell us more about this idea of your business as being an incubator. Yeah, I think, you know, when I use that word, it's intentionally to, I think, signal that we're always in progress in some sense. Like there, I don't know what the final destination is, but in some sense, it's to, I think, 
use a word that signifies that you know, we're we're in progress and experimentation and kind of continuous learning and growth. And for me, that's about like, well, what's what is the point of having a business? What is what is what are we trying to really do here? Mm-hmm. And in my case, that's not about like maximizing profit for my own gain. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, we're in a different paradigm. Um, I spend a lot of time in the cooperative economy, which is a completely different paradigm than than that one. And so, you know, some of that's like as we do, especially in my work of supporting other owners and uh, figuring out more equitable ways to build teams or what kind of structures would support a capitalist critical lens in their business and things like that. I'm also running those experiments within Wonderwell. You know, so we have a lot of practices internally about how the team is structured, how our time is structured, all of those things, how money flows through the business. And those are kind of evolving experiments all the time that uh, are also things that, you know, I would practice and bring to clients. But it's, you know, it's doing sort of a both an inside and an outside job. That makes sense. There's this one statement you said that is just so powerful. And you said, I'm not about maximizing income for my own gain. How does that play out in your business? Well, you know, I think when you say something like that, it kind of, it becomes a sort of DNA level (laughs) shift. So, and, and I'll also say, I don't know that most people, even if their business is doing that, if you ask them, they're, that's their core rationale. It's just that that's generally what businesses in our economy are doing. That's the point of them is to build wealth for individuals and only certain individuals. So, you know, I think in my case uh, that, you know, there's simple things of just I I could run a much more efficient cut through business um, and structure things way differently to have a different outcome that would result in like a higher salary, more profit distributions to myself and things like that. Since that's not the, you know, DNA underlying principle that I'm trying to work, I don't make any decisions in that, uh, trying to get in that direction. That's just not the path that we're on. It's not to say that like, I don't pay myself or I don't also take profit distributions alongside Mm -hmm. the team or things like that. Like I, I'm, making a good livelihood and all of those things. It's just that I would make different choices if I were just trying to like make a ton of profit. So tell us about those choices that you make in your business right now that you feel like you mentioned is really honoring for your team. Yeah, I think there's a lot of them and they all kind of have to integrate or of course the whole thing kind of falls apart. (laughs) But I think, you know, a lot of the structures we have about how work happens in the company are built around creating more flexibility and autonomy and care for everybody. So, and that's, that's basic things like we generally have a culture where the trust is that work's going to happen and happen well. And if that's at 6 in the morning or 6 p.m. or 3 a.m., even though that never happens to my knowledge, like that's all fine. So we have a lot of space for people who have different lives, different life setups, who have childcare needs or I have yoga needs or things like (laughs) that that can fit within a day. So, 
it just, we build a lot more space into sort of integrating work and life rather than having to build life around work, which is generally Mm -hmm. how I think we've all landed in 2021. (laughs) So a lot of that's just like really having flex schedules and meaning it. And then we have to like, there's a lot of other things that have to align within the business, including like how we create relationships with our clients and things like that, um, Mm -hmm. that support that flexibility. Um, so that's sort of a big one, uh, for us and go go ahead. Yeah. I I'm interested. Obviously when we own a business, um, it it has to work in that we still have to be servicing our clients at our very best. And so how do you marry this idea of having a really flexible and autonomous team with uh, getting the work done well? Yeah. I think one thing, you know, I'll speak to like on the bookkeeping services side of the business, you know, the way that work happens is there's a certain amount of it that's production in a sense, right? It's a recurring function in a business. We do sort of the same, mostly the same thing month every month, like it's a repeatable process. So, you know, it functions a little bit differently than other types of work in that sense, like if not being a defined project, but like an ongoing process that we're doing. So in that sense, there's like a, it's, it's a fairly easy thing to know when you're done and to know when you've done it well. Uh, like it's, it's a pretty concrete function in a business in that sense. So one way that plays out for us is, you know, we're, we're building how work happens around getting the work done well, not about like having your butt in a seat for a certain number of hours or something like that. You know, our, our promise and what we're doing for clients is to get them really clear numbers and well done books. So um, in terms of like flexibility and how we support that, there, there's a piece of it like we don't have we don't have like phone numbers like you can't like ring the office whenever you want and talk to any of us. Part of that's because we're remote, but part of that's because we're optimizing towards like focus and flexibility and autonomy. And if we had people calling us and interrupting Mark all the time, that would actually be counter to what we're trying to deliver to clients. Like that would Mm -hmm. be counter quality in a sense, you know? So instead we, you know, we build in expectations from the very beginning of when folks contact us of like, no, we we schedule out ahead of time. There's no emergencies here. We're really focused on doing great work. So we're going to get that to you kind of on our schedules essentially. And, you know, there's flexibility in there. And obviously, like, we're not unreachable, we're super responsive. But I think some of that's creating like, at the company level, guardrails and expectations for how we're in relationships with clients, with each other, how work happens. And that's not something that like, individual team members have to create boundaries around or enforce boundaries around themselves. Mm-hmm. Like they really have the company that's setting those guardrails and creating those frameworks. Uh, so it's, it's supportive at a like, foundational level in that sense. I love how you outlined your communications and how you set the boundaries between your company and the clients that you work with, just to make sure that you guys can succeed and the clients also gain the best results. I'm, I want to take this conversation into talking about workload. So when we run an agency or a firm, uh, typically what we want to do is ensure that when we have people on the team that we're utilizing their time as best as we can. And so that equals understanding workload and what is too little, what is too much. How do you determine that in your business? Yeah, so we have we have a transparent compensation policy 
so we have a like matrix. So that that tracks to different levels of experience, basically, as a as a framework. And then within that, and again, I'm speaking mostly to the bookkeeping side at this point, um, even though we do other things. But you know, different people on the team have different client loads. And we part of the the matrix for compensation tracks to client load. So we have folks that are part-time. Um, and so they're within a certain band of client workload. And then we have a full-time, you know, so we it scales like full-time is sort of the benchmark. And that's within a certain band of like number of clients, client hours, kind of what that workload would look like. And then, you know, it scales down if for folks that are part-time or like not going to grow into full-time because they have other stuff going in their lives, things like that. So that sort of sets a benchmark expectation of between, you know, myself ultimately as the owner who's responsible for people's job structures and everybody on the team that can scale up and down. And it has, uh, we had to shift gears, like, especially during the pandemic, because things come up. <laughs> so that's kind of how we do it. Um, and that's how you get a situation where, which this happens on your team, where somebody who's full-time could work 20 hours in a week and be done with their work. And that's cool. And like, can go do whatever they want after that. <laughs> yeah. I love that your matrix of compensation is not determined by hours. Cause it, typically when we think of a matrix of compensation, it's you work this many hours and you get paid this much for those hours that you worked. For you, it, your matrix composition isn't like that. Can you share with us some details and how you came up with this matrix and how you how you were able not to pin it to like how many hours someone sits in a chair? Yeah. Um, well, so some of that, like, because we, we also have transparent compensation on like the operations and admin side. It has to work a little bit differently and more more based on hours than client load because there's just there's not really another way to do it that I've figured out yet. So I think part of part of our being able to do that on that side is again back to the like bookkeeping is client based production work. It's direct. It, they're uh, positions that are directly tied to revenue generation. So it's actually easy to create the system that works in that realm and not in ours. So like it wouldn't work and you couldn't do that with any type of work. Uh, it really has to be something I think that is tied to revenue generation. Mm -hmm. And then also where employees can have some ownership or stake in how the work gets done. Because there's certain kinds of things that don't work that way. Like bookkeeping you can good bookkeepers get more efficient over time they mm -hmm. tend to be you you get faster as you get better that's sort of how it works as a general trend so you know in a sense if we were paying everybody hourly if they got better at their jobs they'd make less money yeah so i definitely didn't want to do that <laughs> so that's part of that's part of how we got to this sort of like unusual system which is that you know it definitely it rewards the things that happen when people are really good at their jobs rather than the opposite in your people's first paradigm what i connect with is how you make sure your team is rewarded for quality speed and getting better at what they do in some organizations the better you get the more work gets piled on your desk and in your business you're very much the opposite i can see how that inspires your team to want to aim for efficiency and excellence yeah and they might get more they do People do get more work as they get better because, but it's not, 
I would say actually one of the funny things that tends to happen on our current team is that they I get I get pushed back because I'm like, are you sure you want more? They're like, yeah, it's fine. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Did you know that I have a free team growth roadmap? Imagine if you didn't spend all day, every day in the weeds of running your business. That can mean more flexibility, more freedom, less overwhelm. I created the Team Growth Roadmap to help my clients gain direction on the strategic systems and leadership actions for a streamlined business and a self-managing team to grow your business. Inside the roadmap, I share my compass method, an acronym for each step of the roadmap to get you out of the weeds of running your business and help you have a small but mighty team that gives you more freedom and flexibility. You can get all the details over at AudreyJoyQuan.com. That's A-U-D-R-E-Y-J-O-Y-K-W-A-N.com. Or click the link in the show notes right there in your podcast app. Back to the show. It feels like you have a very unique culture for your business. And so to find the right people to fit that culture requires, I would say, a way of hiring or a hiring process or a hiring system. What does your hiring process or system look like? Yeah, well, we're so we're slow daters. And right now our hiring process, and I'll say, you know, part of part of my learning over the years is is getting and this only really comes with experience, I think, is getting more tuned into the kinds of people that are going to be successful in our culture and the kinds of people that will struggle more. Because it's really, it's not, not everybody is well suited to the kind of autonomy and that we have and what that means. So we definitely are looking for folks that have demonstrated strong like self-management skills who have experience in places that they're not super heavily managed, or maybe they've done remote work before, things like that. But because that's, that's a real key, you know, there are people that do really well with like external direction and stuff like that. And those people do not do well. at our Like, it's just not that support's not there. <laughs> so that's something we've definitely learned. So right now, uh, what we do, like our current process that we're doing for our hires right now, we have a kind of like work sample uh, written test type thing. That's our first stage um, after people apply and things like that. We've done that partly because, you know, we're a very writing communication heavy company. We are remote. We do a lot of like email, Slack, stuff like that more than in person and things like that. So it helps us like upfront on both sides, get a sense of like, well, this is, you're going to be communicating and writing. And, uh, and then from there we do usually two rounds of interviews. We do one uh, with myself uh, in leadership and like often the ops lead person will join me on that. And then we do a team round also. Um, depending on our schedules and stuff, sometimes we'll do the team round first. Sometimes I'll do it first. Just depends. So we do a team interview uh, and we use the same questions for all of them. I've actually started sending questions ahead of interviews so that people know what we're going to ask them ahead of time. And I also, and this has been really helpful, I think we have a like, I just did a notion, it's a notion web page. We have a page that lays out our entire hiring process, and that's in the job postings. So people can see exactly like, this is what we do. This is what we do. You'll have, if you get mm-hmm. to phase one, it'll be a written test. It'll take about this long. If you get you know, to our interview phase, these are the kinds of interviews you'll have and how long they'll take and the kinds of questions you'll be asked and 
the kinds of questions we think are good for you to ask me or the kinds of questions that you should probably ask the team and that kind of thing. And um, so it really lays it out for folks so they know what they're getting into. Um, and it's as transparent as possible. I find that like at large in general, uh, I, you know, applying for jobs is so demoralizing because people are treated so poorly often hmm. in terms of just communication and like weird stuff that happens out there. Um, so we definitely are trying not to do that <laughs> and to like treat people well and make sure we're communicating and as best we can and things like that. Transparency with your team has been a theme in our conversation, and it sounds like you aim for full transparency even in the hiring process, which includes sending your interviewees the questions before the interview. That's unique because in the traditional model, you gate the questions and there is this anticipation from the interviewee on what they will be asked. And I I just don't know who that benefits at the end of the day, you know? I can see for someone who is highly introverted and may not be the best interviewee that by providing them the questions ahead of time, you're leveling the playing field between the extrovert who may interview well and the introvert who might need more preparation time. Yeah. And we tend to, this isn't true of everybody on the team, but uh, I would say our team culture trends towards introversion, which makes sense because we're, we don't meet a lot. We're kind of like, our vibe is like, I'm off in my quiet house doing my work. See you later. So, you know, there are certain extroverts that could handle them and some that definitely would not like that kind of culture. So just for self-selection, I think we end up with folks that uh, find that really lovely as a work environment. So, you know, often a lot of introverts, I'm like this too, Uh, I can think on my feet, but like, I would prefer to think about things internally before I talk about them. So I think it, you know, it tracks to our culture and kind of, if we, if we were hiring high pressure sales jobs and people really needed to think on their feet as a core job competency, I could see like asking people questions to test that, but that's not really like important to what any of our positions are. So it's not like, it's not a skill or quality that we need to check out. So it doesn't really matter. It really speaks to understanding the type of person that will succeed in the role that you're actually hiring for and then uh, catering the hiring process to meet that person where they're at. Yeah. And I saw in another conversation I was in recently, somebody was saying that they were doing, having folks do video interviews, like so, like they would send questions and say, send a video which made so much sense because they were talking about kind of sales type roles and where somebody would have to do that kind of presenting. And um, I think that kind of thing would make a lot of sense. So, you know, I, I think there's like a lot of, I'm seeing a lot more flexibility in terms of people really thinking through what do I need to know about somebody? Like how would we assess together best fit? I think more and more often I am seeing people post jobs that ask people to send videos telling the employer why they're interested in a job or asking a unique question for the potential person who's applying for a job to answer. And I think in our case right now where we are working virtually and in positions where there are a lot of those meetings that happen through video, it does make sense because you do need to have people who are open to doing video communication in certain jobs. And if that's a requirement, I could see that video element being you know, important to that process. So tell me a bit more about how you set your people up for success. That's a great question. I think a lot of it, 
We we do a pretty intensive onboarding process with folks. Like it it takes a couple weeks. So we're we're pretty intentional about how we bring people in. We have a lot of documentation. Um, we use Notion, so pretty much everything's in there. So and and we kind of course it out. So you know, like positions that are uh, like operations or admin and stuff like that. Like I'll often meet with folks every day for like two weeks, and we'll just kind of talk. And it and it's really context building time, learning our systems, things like that. I tend to set up pretty low expectations of like. I don't really want you to do anything the first week. <laughs> like, you like, you know, I remember uh, somebody that joined recently, like they probably did their first task like five days in and we like celebrated it because it was like, oh, and it was like really something like you sent an email. <laughs> but that's all to say, like uh, we tend to do a lot of context building on the front end and like systems learning and tech learning and all of that stuff before anybody gets thrown into a lot of doing the work. And part of that's just, I think, especially with remote companies that use a lot of apps and tech and stuff like that, there's a real learning curve to figuring out where things are and how they work. So we spend a lot of time on that. I think because we have a bunch of new team members entering right now, July is going to be like our, we're going to do just a lot more retraining and kind of team building type work together as a whole team. So we'll do some stuff around Wonderwell well, uh, values. Um, we use some particular communication and decision-making frameworks that we'll do retraining and stuff like that around so that everybody does that together. But yeah, we try and be pretty gentle about it. And even when we have new bookkeeping team members come on, like we'll course out their new clients over about a month. So it's like they'll get two a week and we don't, we don't like put the whole load on them at once because it takes time to learn new clients and things like that. This concept that you have here, I I think everyone needs to hear because I think this is idea out there in the business building world that um, when you hire someone into your business, that onboarding is like one day, eight hours intensive, and then you're done. (laughs) And that person's trained up and it's time to load them with work and let's get going. I think there's that, that natural concept out there that people subscribe to about hiring and building a team. And I think what you said here is way more realistic of how to support people for success. And that is having an onboarding process that is a couple of weeks. Typically, to bring in a full-time employee and really train them up, it takes three months. Yep. Yeah, that's what I always say. It's like the first month is really, that's the learning. Like we're just getting people into things and then it takes two months to integrate. And then by three months, they're like kind of getting it. Which is like, that's, I think that's so normal. But yeah, I don't, I think that the expectation that people can like dive in on their first day, I don't think that, I don't really think that helps anybody. (laughs) What are your thoughts on a great delegation? Like what, if you were to, if someone were to ask you, hey, what makes a leader a great delegator? How would you answer that question? Oh, um, that's a great question. I think, well, I think the keys are one, really clear expectations. And then I think the second part is delegating like full areas or ownership, not tasks. Um, which isn't to say I don't delegate tasks sometimes, but for me, because of my, especially my leadership and management style, I'd much rather hand somebody a whole thing that they can own and delegate that than to like parse out 
small things all the time. So, you know, I think a lot of, and this takes time, especially with bringing new teammates on and stuff like that, for people to get a real handle on the extent of their domains and like, where does their decision-making end, somebody else's begin, things like that. And often it's fuzzy by nature forever. So, you know, I think for what I'm always trying to do is be as clear as I can on expectations. Also have processes for when we get that wrong, because that stuff is not always crystal clear, um, even despite our best intentions. And then really doing as much as I can to like, figure out over time, like what people can really own themselves without continual delegation. Do you have KPIs or key performance indicators tied to the roles of your team members that help you understand how they are performing? We don't have like hard data numbers around stuff like that. I think it's it's an area that is on my list to sort of collectively develop further in the coming year or so. But No, I mean, there's certain ways that depending on the role that that happens naturally, like, there's certainly like the folks that work most closely with me, like the operations role or like an EA or something like that. We generally have like shared priorities and, you know, things that are pretty clearly outlined that track to company strategy um, that are, you know, three month, six month kind of things. So that's kind of how we track to that. And then... You know, within the bookkeeping team, it's a little bit different because the work's ongoing. So some of that's just about like learning, learning new skills or technical development or stuff like that, or new areas of leadership, things like that, which tends to happen all the time in our work culture because we're very creative and problem solving focused. But no, that's something that like is definitely on our list of like, next stages of uh team implementation is to figure out but totally fair yeah i'm more interested in that coming from the team than from me as like a top-down thing so Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff tends to take longer for us because most of it's not coming like directly from me by fiat it's like a process So you're empowering your team to set their own KPIs. That's that's your that's where you'd like to see it go from, rather than top down. It's more bottom up. Yeah, because I, I you know I mean I certainly can provide ref- reflection for people as they come through me about like things that I see or growth areas, but I don't you know, but I don't know that that's all the the most helpful thing. Mm-hmm. Some of it comes up because it's it's clear through the job and like where people are having challenges or roadblocks because that stuff will come up. Kate, tell us what keeps you inspired. The thing that always keeps me inspired is just st- being rooted in my own creative practices and ideas and reading and writing. Like that's what fires me up at the end of the day. So as much as I can kind of protect my time around like reading and writing and ideas and I, I'm an artist first and foremost. So that includes like drawing and things like that. Um, That's really what keeps me inspired and motivated. Thank you, Kate. Kate, can you share where the people listening can find you? Yeah. Our, so our website is wanderwellconsulting.com. All roads to everything else come out of there. I have a, a email newsletter that I, I actually haven't written to in probably five months, but I, uh, but I'm scheduled to next week. So, but that's where I talk about a lot of our sort of ethos and different ideas about leadership and doing business differently and things like that. 
And that's where, that's where you can find us. Thank you, Kate. Thanks for listening to the Small But Mighty Agency podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It would mean the world to me. Or send a screenshot on Instagram while tagging me at Audrey Joy Kwan.